You're listening to the number one Oilers podcast, Handkerchief Dynasty. Two minutes for interference. Handkerchief Dynasty Podcast. Episode 73. Kind of a fun number. Um, I am, as always, your secret professor. I'm joined on the line by the uh, wonderful and unmatched Mr. Zach Lang. How are you, Zach? Oh, those are very kind words. I'm doing well, thank you. And how are you today? I'm surviving. I'm kind of starting a new workout regime. I'm trying to get a lot of sun. I'm trying to squeeze as much juice out of the summer as I can before it's over. Um, I, I'm surprised at how quickly the weather's kind of changed. It's uh, yeah, it's been here. It's yeah. got cool very quickly. So our our two weeks of summer, I guess, are uh, have come and gone. I mean, I hope there's like a little bit more, please. Jesus Christ, I need something. Give me something. Yeah, um, we don't have uh, the high priest on mic quite yet. He will be joining us uh, shortly. I believe he was uh, busy initiating some new um, initiates. Um, but uh, I wanted to start off and ask you, so you did a, a pretty uh, in-depth write-up on uh, Ken Holland's uh, presser this week. Um, some interesting kind of tidbits in there. I feel as though the general feeling I have right now is that... Um, like, I think if the salary cap hadn't, if we hadn't gone through the pandemic and if the salary cap hadn't, uh, like, if we didn't know it was going to stay flat, um, I think we'd actually probably see a lot more of the same people returning this year. But given the early playoff exit um, and maybe a little more, like, I don't think he wants to overturn the roster that much, but I think there's a possibility that maybe one or two players that were considered core, like, probably in the core, are maybe possibly not in the core. Maybe they could be included in some kind of package deal. Um, so I wanted to talk to you about what you think. Uh, we'll go over the different areas, but um, but I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are for Ken Holland's kind of what he's got on his plate going in here. I think Ken Holland has a lot on his plate going into this offseason. Um, you know, we listened to him speak yesterday. He spoke at length for an hour, and there was a lot of really interesting stuff in there. Um, I think the thing that probably jumped out to me the most, to be honest, uh, was his talk about the flat cap and how big of an impact that's going to have on what he's able to do. Um, so if, if whoever's listening to this hasn't heard yet, um, Ken Holland had said that when just before he made the, um, the trade for Andreas Athanasiou, he was at the general manager's meetings where it was discussed that there was going to be a cap increase uh, to $84 to $88 million, as my cat knocks something off the table, um, uh, a cap increase to $84 to $88 million. Uh, and then he went and pulled the trigger on the Athanasiu deal. Now, of course, Athanasiu is a restricted free agent at the end of this year. Uh, he's making $3 million, and that means that he has to be qualified at that $3 million mark. 
So I imagine if I'm Ken Holland, when I make that trade, I'm, I'm comfortable knowing that I have to pay um, Athanasiu at the least $3 million. Um, but that's changed now because we have a flat cap and that cap's not going to change from the $81.5 million, um, which makes something like the Athanasiu deal, just as a first example of what can be many here, um, a difficult negotiation to happen. Athanasiu is going to have to sign for, for a contract uh probably in the $2 million range if he's going to want to stay in Edmonton. And that's not even taking into account all of the other holes that uh, Ken Holland's going to have to address uh, over the next, you know, five or six months here before we hopefully get another season uh, starting on December 1st. So I, I think the long and short of it um, is that Ken Holland has his work cut out for him. He's got some retooling he needs to do to this roster. Um, and I, I anticipate to see some changes. Um, whether that's going to be in the trades, I, I don't know. Um, I guess I'm 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 hopeful that there's some deals to be had that can improve this roster in the trade market. But again, uh, something else Holland said is that you know if there's going to be a trade, it has to be a money in, money out sort of situation. And there's going to be a lot of teams just like Edmonton that are going to be really tied up against this cap uh, for the next couple of seasons. So you know you talk about um, a pandemic that's you know it's absolutely changed. Um, the course of the NHL as a, as a whole, uh, given the cap implications that it has, uh, it's going to be really interesting to see what uh, what kind of happens here moving forward. Yeah, I feel like we we should buckle up for for possibly interesting uh, off season here. Like it's I've kind of been talking about it on Twitter a little bit here and there. I mean, what do you think about the goaltending situation? I think you know Koskinen we're pretty married to at this point. I don't really see him getting moved out in a trade that easily, um, and I still think he's got he's got more to give. Um, but for Mike Smith, I mean, do you think we could see if he does come back to the Oilers? Do you think we could see him like something uh, like something like a close to league minimum contract? Um, I mean, if Mike Smith is going to be coming back, it has to be pretty much for league minimum. Um, I wouldn't give him a penny more. But to be honest, I hope that there's a better option out there than Mike Smith. Um, you know, he had some good stretches for Edmonton this year. But that was really about it. Uh, overall, his numbers were not tremendous when you look at it. And uh, Miko Koskinen outplayed him for the majority of the season. And I know there's some some real Smith apologists out there that are going to hate me saying that. Um, but the truth of the matter is, is that he's a 38-year-old goaltender. And, you know, he's, he's definitely a veteran guy. And um, I'm sure he's a guy who had a positive impact on the Oilers' uh, dressing room, which definitely holds its value in and of itself. But... You know, when we're looking at a situation where, you know, Mike Smith arguably cost us game one of the playoffs um, and, and got us off on the very wrong foot to start the series against Chicago, um, you know, Ken Holland said he's going to take into account those four games into his evaluation of everything. And there's no other way that you can look at it besides being disappointed in, in what Smith did in that, that one playoff game. He just wasn't where he needed to be and it could cost him. Um, you know, I think I like a guy like Robin Lehner on the uh, UFA market. Um, he's a can guy. We I fit, really can we fit him in of the cap, do you think? See, this is the problem. Like, this is the problem, right? Like, Edmonton has uh, $10 million, just over $10 million in cap space, according to Puckpedia. And, really? That uh, much? Yeah. I mean, that's that's without bears resigned. Like, uh, there's there's several UFAs that need to be. That's correct. Yeah, yeah so that's, right. that's $10, $10 million without any of the re-signings. Um, so obviously you have Mike Smith, Mike Green, uh, Patrick Russell, Tyler Ennis, and Riley Shahan all as UFAs. You have Andres Athanasiu, Matt Benning, and Ethan Bear all as RFAs. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how he kind of navigates it. It's it's 
you know, I'd love to see Laner come in, but I don't know if Edmonton's going to be able to afford it. There might be another team out there that might be able to pay a little bit more. So, you know, something I'm wondering is, is there any way we can get ourselves a little bit of cap flexibility? Um, maybe, yeah. you know, a trade, you know? Well, like, I'm thinking, I mean, I'm thinking that if, if we do get any cap flexibility, the most likely place it's going to come from is the same place it came from last year with the Sekera buyout. It's the defensive core. Like, I mean, obviously the prime prime candidate, even though he had a really strong playoffs for us, and I don't want to see him go necessarily, is Chris Russell, right? With that low actual dollar salary, high cap hit. I mean, there's there's probably a handful of teams. I mean, do you think that there's a handful of teams we could potentially wheel a, a Chris Russell deal with? I, I hope so. Like, I hope so. You know, like, uh, Chris Russell's fine in his own right. He's a, he's a tough, gritty defenseman who blocks a lot of shots and 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 that sort of thing. But, you know, the truth of the matter is, is a guy like Ethan Bear is already well better than, um, than he is. You know, you got Evan Bouchard knocking on the door on the right-hand side too. You got Matt Benning and Caleb Jones, two other really good young defensemen. Caleb Jones was in my eyes, incredibly underrated this year. Um, I think he's a tremendous young defenseman at only 23 years old. Mm. So, you know, if I'm Ken Holland, I am absolutely looking to get out of that last year of Chris Russell, um, even if it's a scenario where you have to eat uh, half of his salary um, right, just to right. be able to move it for a draft pick. Even $2 million in cap space is going to be massive. And, Could be you know, huge, yeah, $2 million or like $2.5 million or whatever is a huge, yeah, is a huge difference right now. Yeah, absolutely. And the truth is, is a guy like Caleb Jones can step in and do what Chris Russell did this year and probably do it better because Caleb Jones can move the puck and Chris Russell, um, you know, God bless him. He he cannot move the puck anymore. So um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Maybe there's a, a bit of a bigger deal to be made um, with Adam Larson, right? Maybe. Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Yeah. Do you think do you think there's teams out there that want that want to trade for Adam Larson right now? I think there's I think there's teams out there that have time for Adam Larson. Um, you know he's a defensive defenseman, um, a very staunch defensive defenseman at that. Like he, you know he's he's pretty one dimensional, um, but there's value in that for teams. You know he's still on cheap contract, only four million dollars. Um, so again, you know have you know you have to take into account a scenario where it's going to be dollars in dollars out for basically any trade you make. So um, you know is there maybe um, a top six forward or uh, like maybe a, a middle six scoring winger, like a, a bona fide middle six scoring winger that could step in, um, in, in a trade for Adam Larson. I, I mean, I'd like to see, I'd like to see that happen if I'm, if I'm the Oilers, mm. because, you know, again, you've got the emergence of, of Ethan bear uh, on the right side. You know, I think you could see, you know, Matt Benning's going to get re-signed. Um, I think he's a you're very confident, you're confident in that. I'm, I'm confident in that. Yeah, I'm, I'm a I'm confident betting signing. Is he is does he have arbitration rights? Is do we need to qualify him or is it yes. just UFA? Yeah, so okay. he's he's an RFA. So uh, he's he made 1.9 million, so he needs to be qualified at that. But again, you know, it might be a situation where we were able to get him signed to a deal for for one and a half million, you know, or something like that. Um, yeah. just, just to give a little bit more cap, cap, cap flexibility over the next year or two, right? Um, it's going to be interesting. Like it's, it's, you know, and that's only the defense and and the and the net, right? You know, you. you well, I mean, I, I still have more questions for you on the defense. I mean, do you think? Yeah. I mean, there's obviously a lot of people calling for blood right now, and I, I personally think it would be a little bit risky to give up on uh, Clef Bomber Nurse at this point. But they would, if if you were going to do a money in money out deal. 
and we were trying and assuming we got the better defenseman back or say the better player if it's a high end forward um what do you what do you think of the 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 possibility do you think it's even possible that that uh that he would trade either of those players and what, what do you think about it if he did i mean i would be very disappointed to see either oscar Clefbaum or darnell nurse go um solely for the reason that it's kind of the age-old story in edmonton ah well tom gilbert uh we can trade him because we have the next defenseman ready Ah, Justin Schultz, we can trade him because we have the next defenseman ready. And same thing with Jeff Petrie. When all those trades happened, we, you know, Edmonton said, oh, we have the next defenseman coming. Um, so we can trade away a guy that we've drafted or had in the organization for a number of years and have developed ourselves. And I would just see that being the exact same thing in a potential Oscar Clefbaum or a Darnell Nurse trade. Now, with that being said, there's one trade that I could see happening that might make sense. Um, and that would be the potential for Darnell Nurse to be traded to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, Toronto needs help on the back end, just as much as Edmonton needs help on the back end. Um, but, you know, maybe a guy like William Nylander from the Leafs um, would be could be made available if slash when Toronto decides to shake things up. You know, Elliot Friedman wrote uh, in 31 Thoughts on Tuesday um, how we could see Edmonton and uh, Toronto being trade partners again. Like, there's been a number of times where um, the two teams have been close, uh, you know, the other year, last year, two years ago, I think it was, uh, Connor Brown was almost an Edmonton Oiler in a deal that would have seen Matt Benning and Juju Arcaira, um, get traded to Toronto. So, you know, is that something that gets revisited? Obviously Toronto's well, got I'm a wondering, win. yeah, now I'm wondering about those, like the, the kind of, uh, role playing forwards, um, like yeah. Kara is someone we've heard trade rumors about in the past. I think there's probably teams that we willing to take a chance on him. You know, I think a Cassian, even though I'd hate to see that toughness go, you can't deny that he really just didn't show up in the playoffs at all. I mean, I think the probably the teammates but his teammates would hate to see him go too, but yeah. I think there's I think there's a strong chance that we could see um a Cassian, a Kara move out, um, maybe a double A too, you know. Like I think I think he's he's probably possibly another chip in that in that mix. Um but I, in a way, like I'm wondering about James. I, James Neal is the one I have kind of the biggest questions about, and I'm. But I'm also wondering if him and Chieson showing up well enough in this uh, play-in series, kind of, you know, I really don't want to let go of either of them right now. In a way, although in terms of salary cap implications, if you could do something with Neal, you'd probably go for it, right? Yeah. So I, there, there, I'm gonna. I want to speak on that for sure. There's one other point I just want to make quickly about the Darnell oh, sure, the, the Toronto link. Um, the, the Neal stuff. The Neil Chase on stuff's really interesting, but uh, there's something that we got to take note of too. Um, there's a, a, a long-standing connection between uh, Maple Leafs general manager Kyle Dubas and head coach Sheldon Keefe and Darnell Nurse. Uh, Darnell Nurse was a Sioux Greyhound, and that's the organization where both Keefe and Dubas uh, cut their teeth in uh, at the OHL level. So, you know, that's why I theorize that there could be some interest from Toronto in a guy like Darnell Nurse. Um, and where, you know, we might see a potential trade happen. Like, that's probably the only scenario that I could see a guy like Nurse getting traded. Um, mm. Nurse is really close with Dreisaitl and McDavid. They're they're all really yeah, they good really friends. Um, so, you know, and, and Ken Holland has said that Darnell Nurse is part of the core for the Edmonton Oilers, and and so it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. But on to the, the well, Neil and Chase. Sorry, go ahead. Actually, let me just interject really quick. Like, if 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 we did complete some kind of quote-unquote hockey trade with Toronto with Darnell Nurse as a centerpiece, I mean, who do you think realistically we could get back? Yeah, I mean, I think you could get a guy like William Nylander for yeah. sure. 
um, which I have a lot of time for. I, I think Nylander's a fine, fine player in the NHL. Good two-way forward, strong in his own zone, uh, great offensive instinct. You know, I think he could be a really dynamic player in the Oilers' top six. A guy that could play with McDavid and put up some serious points, do some real damage. Um, you know, that's the one that I see more realistically. It also fits in a little bit better uh, salary-wise, too, if I'm not mistaken. Um I'm just going to try and pull it up really quickly here just to make sure that I'm correct in terms of uh, Nylander's salary. But yeah, Nylander makes uh, just a shade under $7 million uh, on the cap every year. So, you know, when you look at Darnell Nurse, he's got a $5.6 million contract. Uh, Toronto's another one of those teams that's going to be really tight to the cap for a while. Um, so there could be a deal to be had there. You know, maybe it's uh, Nurse and Kyra or Nurse and Athanasie or something for Nylander. Uh, mm. to make to make the money work right so that you know, could be pretty great actually i, I mean yeah i, I like that's I don't, basically the kind of deal we would need to see for it to be worthwhile like we need we need we need if we do trade a cleft bomb or a nurse we have to be getting the best player back to the point where we're like you know it's it's a it's a compliment to those players that they got traded for whoever yeah i think so i mean you know there's a couple other names that interest me in toronto too like a guy like alexander kerfoot kasperi kapanen Andreas Janssen, I, I like all three of those players, but not at the not at the cost of um of an Oscar Kleffbaum or Darnell Nurse, you know. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see. Like, will something happen? Who knows? Uh, of course, we're just kind of playing armchair GM here, right? Um, but uh, what else are we going to do all summer? You know. Yeah, exactly. Right. You know, I don't see Toronto trading like Toronto's not going to trade Austin Matthews or John Tavares, right? That's just it's just not going to happen. Um, you know, maybe like Mitch Marner, I, I have a hard time seeing Toronto trading Marner. Um, you know, there's obviously a bit of a fan revolt that goes on with, with Mitch Marner, who's a, a great young player. Um, so I, I would, I would say if any one of those four core guys are getting moved, it, it might be Nylander. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably the name. Um, but I wanted to ask like, and I have this, I had this random thought, um, and it kind of came out of nowhere because I've been a big fan of our defensive depth for a while here and, and you know I love the young defenseman on the, on the team and I'm not really I'm not looking to give up on anybody per se but I was wondering like we have puck movement on the back end um, but do we really have uh, a defenseman who who's really a threat to score you know I mean I know it's really rare but even on you know something like the power play I wonder if we just don't we really just don't have an offensive weapon back there in terms of the threat to score goals and I'm wondering if if the addition of Broberg either next year or the year after that could see us finally kind of have not not only a puck moving defenseman and an offensively minded one or well well rounded and you know possessing a, a wide range of skills, but someone who can also really just you know shoot the pill. I think we do have somebody in the organization that way, and his name's Evan Bouchard. Um, I think Bouchard is right. is the power play quarterback of the future for the Edmonton Oilers. Um, we've seen it already happening down in, in Bakersfield at the American Hockey League level where he had a really successful season last year. Um, you know, the closest that we have on the roster, maybe a guy like Darnell Nurse um, in terms of the puck moving ability and the, well, the, the shooting power. Yeah, but not, but, but even at that, it's, 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 not as though, it's not as though we're expecting him. Like when you look at, say, Chicago against us in this series and the, the, the shots from the point, you know, like I'm almost looking as much for that as well. Like as someone who's a, who's a threat to score a goal straight up or a threat to make a really wily kind of deflection shot pass thing. I mean, there's definitely yeah. has offensive acumen for sure, but I'm, I feel, I feel like in a weird way, we just need at least one guy who has that extra offensive dimension. 
Yeah, and I think that's I think that's Bouchard coming up from the American League, right? Like like Edmonton doesn't really have that sort of a threat. Like Oscar Kleffbaum, like he can shoot the puck, he can move the puck, sure, but he's not a real threat with the puck. Um, Darnell Nurse, he's as I mentioned, kind of a threat with the puck at times, but he sometimes struggles when he has the puck on his stick. He he sometimes almost seems a little bit confused. Adam Larson, Chris Russell, Matt Benning. They're not really offensive threats. Ethan Bear has some good offensive IQ for sure. Um, that could be something that he develops in his game a little bit more. But, um, you know, I think that's something that not a lot of teams truly, truly have. Like, there's there's few defensemen out there that are, are um, big offensive threats uh, in that sense, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely rare. Like, not everyone can be Carlson. Um I wanted to ask you because you had gone through the the I'm sure the audio as well as kind of transcribing a lot of the Ken Holland presser um, because uh, I'm hoping the High Priest of Boilers Magic can still join us. I haven't heard from him, but he was mentioning that he felt like there was a subtext in some of Kenny's comments about just not agreeing with uh, some of the coaching decisions Tippett had made, and I think Tippett's made a couple of comments about possibly having made mistakes or you know, decisions that just didn't work out. I'm, I'm wondering if you, if you got any sense of that. Uh, a little bit. I mean, I think, I think if anything, uh, Holland had defended Hall or uh, defended Tippett quite a bit. Um, you know, he talked a lot about the positives that Dave Tippett has done with this uh, Oilers team in such a short amount of time. You know, there was a little bit of talk towards the end of like, yeah, you know, there might be some things that Holland did that he regrets, but you know, the truth is, or sorry, uh, things that Tippett did that he may regret. Um, but, you know, the truth is that they're they're in the limelight all the time. And, and Holland had a really good quote, too, at the end, uh, um, something to the tune of, you know, if we didn't want to be criticized, we wouldn't be in this business, right? So yeah, I, think, I think everybody um, can be a little bit critical of themselves at times um, at, at the end of a season. So... You know, I think there's definitely things that we can be critical about Tippett. There's definitely things we can be critical about Holland about. Um, because, you know, at the end of the day, we didn't win the Stanley Cup this year. Uh, so, you know, something went wrong along the way. And something's going to go wrong along the way for 30 other franchises in the NHL this year. Uh, where they're going to be sitting there saying, okay, we need to be critical of ourselves. What went wrong? And there's going to be tough questions that 30 organizations need to answer just just the same as Edmonton is. So um, I, I don't I don't think that, uh, you know, there was any, uh, er, there was too much to read between the lines and anything Holland had said. Fair enough. Um, maybe he can comment on this. I think I'm going to be able to add the High Priest of Oilers Magic. I'm sending a, uh, a mystical ray through the power of the, uh, the internet. Um, is, are you there, High Priest of Oilers Magic? Yes. Uh, good, good, to, good to join you here. Uh, Zach and I were just talking about um, Tippett's or, or Ken Holland's comments um, on the coaching, and, and also some of the comments Tippett made about the coaching and possibly some mistakes being made. Or you, you had told me previously you sensed there was a disagreement there. Sorry, um, did you say possibly some mistakes being made? I said, or I possibly. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to like quote them i don't really know remember the exact words but anyways you, do you think that there was some friction between holland and uh, Tippett re-coaching decisions in this in this play-in round i think Tippett made some terrible decisions and i'd like to think that ken holland had a problem with those decisions so hopefully yes there was friction right on right on um well since we're all here uh i know 
we uh, we want to continue to kind of talk about the uh, even though it's disappointing um, to discuss the end of our the end of the weather season against Chicago. Um, I don't know if you heard our last episode, Zach, but we had uh, we had a wide variety of thoughts. There's there's a wide array of things to be uh, to be frustrated with. Um, but since we haven't touched on it yet, Zach, um, what's uh, what, what was what were some of your most frustrating thoughts coming out of uh, coming out of the elimination game Friday? I mean, the fact that we lost, um, and the fact that we should be still playing playoff hockey right now. Um, I think there's a lot to be disappointed by. You know, Edmonton. Uh, as a city did a hell of a job in bringing forth a bid uh, only to have, you know, the team fall flat on their face in the first round against a, um, a veteran team like Chicago. I mean, I think it's just really disappointing that uh, the Oilers didn't come to play and uh, they, they got it taken to them by a, a, a veteran team. So I think that's probably the thing that I'm uh, most disappointed in is the fact that, you know, the season's over and it really shouldn't be because, um, Edmonton was a better team than Chicago was for the series. Um, the problem was, was that, you know, Edmonton had some major defensive lapses that cost them goals, that cost them games. Um, and I think that's probably what's most disappointing was, you know, I think in the regular season we saw, you know, more of a commitment to the defensive game from the Oilers. Um, you know, the goals against dropped from last year, which was good, or from the year prior, which was good to see. Um, and then, you know, come playoffs, it just seemed like the Oilers forgot how to play hockey. Uh, they forgot how to play their game, and um, Chicago came out and, and, and took it to Edmonton. So um, I think there's a lot that you could be disappointed in, but I think first and foremost, the fact that the, the season ended is, is probably the most disappointing thing. Yeah. Um, no question. I mean, obviously. Why, why do you think they came out so flat? Like, I... They they never really it it didn't resemble playoff hockey at all, and that's something I've never really seen from the Edmonton Oilers in my lifetime before. We've made it to the playoffs with much stinkier teams, but we always seem to find an extra gear in the playoffs. Whereas in these playoffs, we seem to um, shift down or kind of maybe kill the engine entirely well why do you think they came out so completely flat i mean it's really hard to say um it's really hard to say i think part of it is the just the composition of the oilers roster um the oilers are a really young team with not a lot of guys that have any sort of playoff experience so there's not really a lot of guys in that locker room that the young guys could kind of turn to right and i think beyond that too like you know, Ken Holland said it pretty well yesterday in that it looked like, you know, the Oilers didn't come ready in game one and we're going to let the hockey game come to them when Chicago stepped up and they said, OK, we're going to come out and we're going to take the game to Edmonton. And I think that's probably the biggest thing that I could I could pick is that Edmonton seemed lackadaisical in the first game of the series. And, um, you know, they got beat pretty bad in that first game. And then they came back with a great win in game two, but it just wasn't enough. Um, you know, I think I think that, yeah, it, it's hard to say. I, I don't know why, um, because everything we had heard through, you know, the training camp leading up to those games was, you know, we're going to come ready. We're going to come prepared and, you know, we're going to come ready to work. And they didn't do any of that. They weren't any of that. So. Um, I think there's a lot of reflection that needs to be had on 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 um, 
on their preparation for those games. Do you think we'll ever get an an answer that that is satisfying? Because to me, the whole I mean, I've heard I've heard, you know, through through the years, through my lifetime of following this team, like I've heard every excuse in the book. Right. And like the young player excuse, like it's not like these guys haven't been in different playoffs before. It's not like they've haven't seen playoff hockey before. Like they they know what it's about. And I'm, I'm just not sure that there'll ever be an answer that will satisfy or explain explain away the questions people will have about this series. I think this is a series that's going to linger in the memories of Oilers fans for a, for a very a very long time. It, it felt like almost the worst possible way to end the season and and have to deal with going into uh, a new season. If, if worse than being season. worse than being swept though. Yeah. Just because well, I mean, we were we right there, well, we were on the cusp. We may have, I don't know. We didn't show up to play in, in any of those games as far as I'm concerned. Like, we won a game, but yeah, we were just completely outplayed at every turn. We played with zero intensity. I guess getting swept, yeah, would be marginally worse, but I don't know. I don't know. You can make an argument that them coming, figuring out seemingly what they have to do to win and then deciding not to do that once they've done it is equally as bad as getting swept in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, Zach, what do you think of, uh, there's been a little bit of a brouhaha over uh, Mark Spector's questions uh, in the exit interviews and him saying that uh, pointing pointing to Connor and, and Dry's defensive play as, as the critical factor in this loss. Um, I mean, I think the High Priest of Woods Magic has rightly pointed out that, you know, like all play, no player should necessarily be above criticism and, there's probably a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction to just not criticize these guys at all. I, I personally don't really lay the loss at their feet uh, that much. It was, but it was certainly you know a team effort. So, but I'm, I'm curious what you think of of that perspective and also kind of the media storm that it's uh, that it's created. Well, I think that there's there's part of the argument um, Spectre made is is correct. I mean, McDavid and Drysaddle's game needs to develop a little bit more uh, in the defensive zone. Uh, I think that's I think that's fair criticism of those two players. Um, obviously, they're they're incredibly gifted offensive talents. Um, but you know, I don't know if the criticism is so fair to put it all on them. Uh, the way that I feel, uh, Specter did in writing that article. Um, I think there's a bigger issue at hand here when it comes to the Edmonton Oilers. And, and Jason Greger had pointed it out on Twitter the other day. Uh, over the last three seasons, uh, McDavid is plus 26 on the ice uh, in goal rate at five on five. When he's off the ice, the Oilers are minus 82. Um, that's a stark difference. And, you know, uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl over the last three years are first and fourth uh, in goals for uh, when they're on the ice in the entire National Hockey League. Now, in the same breath, they're number one and number two in goals against in that time frame. Um, but, you know, they create so much offense for the Edmonton Oilers that if one of or both of those guys aren't on this team, we're like a really bad hockey team because there's nobody else to kind of help drive that engine. And I wrote an article today uh, on Oilers Nation kind of talking about that a little bit. Um, they don't, the Oilers don't really have those guys that they can lean on when 
um, you know, a team comes in and shuts down a McDavid or shuts down a dry cycle and they don't have room to operate on a nightly basis. Now, McDavid and dry will put up, you know, more than enough points in the four games for the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, the Oilers just had nobody else really show up to kind of give them any help. You know, like Yamamoto was off the was off the score sheet. He didn't really do a whole lot. Uh, Nugent Hopkins had some success, obviously, but you know the Oilers got little to no contributions from their bottom six. Uh, defensively, the whole team was awful the entire series, um, and the Oilers just didn't really give McDavid and Drysaitel any run support. And I think that's uh, a little bit more important um, to note and to look at than just trying to. Uh, to lay this at the feet of McDavid and Dreisaitl and say that, well, they need to be better defensively um, because the issue is much larger than just McDavid and Dreisaitl right now. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely it's a little bit of a game of whack-a-mole. It feels like we're going to be playing here a little bit. I think finding the right additions, maybe making a hockey trade, um, like, what do you think about, uh, we were talking about this earlier, High Priest of Brothers Magic, what do you think about, like, a trade where we trade away a clef bomb or a nurse, even though we don't really want to, yeah. if we're getting back the best player in the trade? Do you think that's something you want to see? Fine with it. I'm fine with it. Personally, I've seen, I mean, there's patience, and then there's just kind of waiting for something that may or may not ever happen. And I think there's a there's a difference between those two things. And I think yeah. we're we're approaching that point with both of those players, which is which sucks. You know what I mean? But I don't know. You at some point you have to kind of uh, you have to make that call, or at least sort of acknowledge that there that that that, that might be a possibility. I don't, I don't think anybody on the the defensive end is aside from Ethan Bear is. Uh, is safe right now. Like there was nobody that really impressed me at all. But again, it was such a, to me, it's so it's almost difficult to judge anyone on that series because of the series was so um, staggeringly abysmal that it, it was just like, it's, it's really difficult to judge anyone as a player by how they chose, how they didn't play in that series. Like it was, it was shocking. It was so not, playoff hockey in in a in a playoff series so i don't know if you had asked me a month ago that same question you know i was i was i was all over darnell nurse and 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 oscar clefbaum like i thought i was completely on board but then you see something like this and so i don't know it's very difficult to judge any of the players uh after after that performance i think it's it's easier to judge kind of where they might be at as a team and um, I don't know. Just I'm, I'm not yeah. sure. It's, it's difficult have... to judge a player uh, yeah. coming yeah. out of that series, which do we is have... so bizarre. Let's put this to the group. Do we have a lot? Do we have? Are, are we worried about Ken Holland making a bad trade or a bad move or a bad signing right now? Or do we? Do the do you two guys like me have uh, have quite a bit of faith in him not to overreact and also to? leave no stone unturned yeah i don't know like as somebody who's followed the oilers for you know 15 years we've had some pretty bad general managers in the past who have made some pretty terrible knee-jerk trade reactions that have cost the edmonton oilers significantly in the long run 
So, you know, I'm, I guess I'll say I'm cautiously optimistic that Holland isn't going to make a bad trade. Um, but again, I'll, I'll believe it when I sort of see it. You know, again, it comes back to the difficulty about the cap this year. Um, you know, the Oilers, like many other teams, are going to be in a cap crunch. Uh, I'm not convinced in any sense of the term that trading Oscar Kleffbaum or Darnell Nurse gets you the help that you need. I uh, because I think in a lot of it, you know, you're, you're <laughs> taking a Band-Aid off of one part of the Oilers roster and now putting a Band-Aid on another part of the Oilers roster. Mm. So... You know, who who steps in to replace Darnell Nurse or Oscar Clefbaum next year if one of those guys gets traded? I, I don't know if I see anybody on the left side that has the ability to play 25 minutes a night um, and produce over 30, 33, 34 points a night the way Darnell Nurse and Oscar Clefbaum did. Do they have warts in their game? Absolutely. Absolutely they do. They're, they're far from perfect defensemen. Um, you look around the league, they're not number one defensemen by any stretch of the term when you compare them to number one defensemen from any other organization in the NHL. So I think that's something that people need to take with a grain of salt as well. You know, those guys play against some of the toughest matchups on a nightly basis, um, and they still kind of manage to keep their heads above water. Um, you know, so it's, it's difficult, and I think that they have a dimension to their game um, that the Oilers need on the back end, like the ability to move the puck, the ability to to get the puck out of their own zone quickly and effectively, um, you know, the ability to, to create offense in the offensive zone as well. Like nobody else on the Oilers' back end, you know, except for maybe the emergence of Ethan Bear now, has that ability. Adam Larson's not giving you offense. Chris Russell isn't giving you offense. Matt Benning isn't going to give you any offense. You know, Caleb Jones might be able to on on in playing some more minutes on a nightly basis. Right. But again, you know, it's, it's hard to say, like you're, you're creating another problem in my eyes by trading a guy like Clefbaum or nurse. Whereas if you trade a guy like Adam Larson, you know, on the right side, for example, who's a, a one dimensional defensive defenseman, you know, you at least have a guy like, you know, Matt Benning who can step up and play a, a defensive role solidly and, and still be able to contribute um, sort of like the defensive puck-moving ability. Like, the, like I like Benning because he has the ability to really get the puck out of his own zone, where I see Adam Larson struggling in that aspect a lot of times, right? And again, we, you know, we talked about this earlier, too, with a guy like Evan Bouchard coming up. Like, he's a guy I could see making the roster as the third-pairing defenseman next year. So it's, it's hard to say. And so, yeah, there's definitely... The, the caution that I have in trading a guy like uh, Clefbaum or, or Nurse because, again, like I mentioned earlier too, what happened with Tom Gilbert or Justin Schultz or Jeff mm-hmm. Petrie? They were all traded yeah. to another team. They all went on to have better careers somewhere else than they did in Edmonton, and Edmonton was left with magic beans that they never turned into anything. I, one of my biggest fears about about this, and it's it's always my biggest fear, is that this isn't a personnel problem, that there's... I know Bob Nicholson got laughed laughed out of the schoolyard when he said there seemed to be something in the water in Edmonton, but I don't know. I wasn't... After, you know, following this team for my entire life, almost 40 years, like, I wasn't necessarily one of the people laughing. And it's, it's, it's easy to say that those guys all left and found success somewhere else but it's not like they weren't 
I mean, they, it wasn't happening here. You know what I mean? No, yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Like, I, like I, I won't disagree with that sentiment at all because for those guys, it, it just wasn't quite happening in Edmonton. I think uh, maybe less so with Petrie versus the other two. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought Petrie was a fine defenseman for the Edmonton Oilers, but that's just me. Um, you know, so it's difficult. And, and, and the truth of the matter is, like I said, like Clefbaum and Nurse still contribute value to the Oilers more than Gilbert or Schultz or Petrie ever did. Mm-hmm. For sure. I wouldn't mind seeing two of those OT winners Petrie scored this year on the Oilers. That would have been nice. Well, yeah, of course, you know. right? Yeah. Those, that, that didn't, those things don't really happen here, though, seemingly. They happen um, once the player goes somewhere else. And yeah, they're, then, they're yeah, just, yeah. there must be something in the water, eh? Weather's law. Murphy's, it's like Murphy's law, but shittier. Yeah. Um, I know we got a hard out in about nine minutes here. Oh, eight minutes now, so... I, I could probably um, stretch it a little bit longer if we need to, boys. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm going to start the wind-down procedure anyways. Um, cool. I think also I wanted to briefly mention, because um, I've really been enjoying listening to it this week, our intro song was called Busy People, and that's from Akira Wada with Friends. Uh, the album is called Love Island, year 1984. And our outro song will be This Is All I Have For You. From Masushita Makoto, um, another from another album that I've really been enjoying uh, from 1981. So <clears throat> I, I had one one thought that I wanted to touch on and get both of your thoughts on, if I may. Um, I think you know if we can assume uh, that we see the Dynamite Line reunited, um, ultimately the, the the top question is going to be who plays with McDavid, and I think. I think in a way the 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 approach here matters a lot because when you look at something like the Athanasiu trade, you know clearly the hope was okay here's a player that has some established offensive upside. Um, we're gonna we're gonna hope that he plays with plays well with Connor and he really really didn't. So, I mean if we do end up getting some big ticket offensive forward, uh, you know I don't I don't know if if we can really just assume that he's gonna have good chemistry with Connor because there there seems to re- to play with Connor seems to require a unique ability to elevate one's game in in certain ways, um, and I'm wondering if we don't want to see rather than trying to go after a big fish, if we don't want to see the same kind of scratch ticket approach where you get a handful of guys um, and and be, have the ability to try out several people that might play well with McDavid and then and then end up finding the right one that way, and and also as a as a related question, you know, what, what's the future of Zach Cassian playing on McDavid's line right now? Well, I think it's difficult. Um, it's a difficult situation all around because you don't want to see more scratch tickets coming in to get a chance to play with McDavid. You know, you'd like to see somebody bonafide step in um, who can do that. You know, like maybe a guy like Mike Hoffman from Florida. He's an unrestricted free agent. You know, maybe he makes it to the open market and, and Edmonton has a chance to sign him for some dollar amount that I have no idea what it'll be. Um, I, I, I would like to see Edmonton, if I'm being honest, re-sign Tyler Ennis. Um, right, yeah. I, I mean, I think Ennis looked 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 good with McDavid in, um, in the limited amount of time that they played together in the regular season um, and in the playoffs, you know. I think Ennis has that two-way ability as a as a player um, who who might be able to fit alongside um, a guy like McDavid and, and have some success doing so. 
you know, Ennis is, is 30 years old. He's a veteran. He's a local guy. Um, you know, he doesn't have a ton of, uh, you know, he doesn't have a ton of playoff experience. He's played 22 games there. You know, it's, it's hard. It's really hard to try and predict what's going to happen because I think what makes it so difficult is just as I, you know, I might sound like a, I'm beating a dead horse here, but the, the cap situation around the NHL is just going to wreak havoc on, on offseason plans for a lot of teams this year. So, yeah. I mean, I think you can get Ennis back cheap for a million dollars, you know, um, on a one-year contract. Unfortunately for him, it'll probably be another sort of prove-it kind of a deal, right? Um, but, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, I, I mean, I'd like to see them obviously bring in someone bona fide, but who that is, uh, what that costs, I, I have absolutely no idea. Yeah, I mean, I just, I'm just worried that if we do get a four or five million dollar player, and it doesn't click with McDavid, we just have, we just have the same Athanasiu conundrum, but like worse, you know? But yeah. I'm probably being a little paranoid. I mean, I think, I don't know. I mean, we have to see the dynamite line next year, don't we? I mean, we have. I, to. I think so. I think so. I mean, they, they played, they played so well together in the regular season. Um, I was disappointed to see Dave Tippett go away from them at any point. And, you know, Tippett, Tippett had made a comment after game four. Uh, he said something to the tune of, you know, we have to try and get more than one line uh, rolling, right? Which is a totally fair sentiment to make, um, you know, when you're playing hockey in December and your team's not doing very good, um, you know, you want to try and create as much as you can, but you know, when you're in the playoffs and it's a do or die scenario, he he so strictly stuck away from putting the dynamite line together until it was the dying minutes of game four and they just didn't have enough time to get anything done. So I think, yes, I think you do see the dynamite line together again next year. And, um, you know, I think you could probably off the bat consider them the, the first line of the Edmonton Oilers, given the success that they had last year. And I know it's weird to say, you know, yeah, McDavid's a, a number two centerman. But, you know, until we see, you know, a couple of guys click with McDavid, it's it's hard to put too much um, pressure on on any of those other guys. You know, Zach Cassian, like, he, he had a, a solid regular season, again, for the Oilers, but he just completely disappeared in the playoffs. Why? I have no idea. Like, that's one of my biggest questions, because having him disappear, um, I think, definitely hurt the Oilers in an unexpected way. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what happens. I mean, I've got time for Athanasiu to stay you know, within the organization. Um, I'd like to see him get a longer look. Um, you know, you got to remember he played, what is it, nine games in the regular season, and he was injured as well, like he was dealing with a quad injury at the time. Um, and then, you know, four games of playoffs, like that, you know, uh, 13, 14 games is nowhere near enough to evaluate Athanasiu fairly whatsoever. So um, I think we'll, I think we'll see Athanasiu come back. He, he might get another extended look with McDavid next year. I, I could see, um, and I'd, I'd like to see Ennis resigned and, and also given an extended look up there. Don't you think that, that any line with Connor McDavid on it is a line that's that's going to be rolling? Like I didn't really understand. I didn't understand Tip's comments comments either because we were fourteen and four when the Dynamite line was together, and Connie was just kind of. I don't know. I'm starting to think that Connie might be um, one of the, if not the most gifted solo performer the NHL has ever seen. But I think that constantly searching for, quote-unquote, chemistry with that guy 
might be a bit of a fool's errand. Like, like you're, you're going to get chemistry, but at the end of the day, it's Connie accelerating through the neutral zone. And like, that's what he's about. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And if you, and if you have that second line, then maybe just, I mean, you kind of have to sort of think of that almost as your de facto first line. And then you have Con- Connor McDavid, which is like, he's, he's a freak. Like, I don't, I don't think, I, I was reading somewhere, I can't remember who, who was saying it, but they were talking about when Phil Jackson had Kobe Bryant and the plan was never to get Kobe to play defense. It was to surround Kobe with guys that did. Yeah. Just because he's such an individual, he was such an individual performer. And I think Connor McDavid might, I mean, he's like that as as well. And I just, it seems so, in hindsight and while it was going on, like looking for chemistry with Connor McDavid by sticking with the, the Nuge was just like, he'd, like Connor McDavid doesn't need the Nuge. He's Connor McDavid, like Dreisaitl and Yamo need the Nuge. And then we have two solid lines. And then, like, a third and fourth line that maybe, in that scenario, aren't as exposed or aren't as, um, you know, dealing with heavy shit as they were. I don't know. Yeah. I, just, I, I worry that oh, looking you're... for Connor McDavid and chemistry might just be, get you into a quagmire that you'll you'll be looking for a solution to that forever. And you'll never quite get something where you're like, yeah, but the, the whole line's not really playing well together. Yeah, no, I think you make a good point. Like, you know, McDavid is McDavid, and, and the things he can do on the ice um, are are things that nobody else in the league can do um, in terms of his speed, his skating ability, his his puck IQ, his offensive prowess. He's just such a unique player, right? But at the end of the day, you, you have to find guys that can complement McDavid. Like, it just can't be the Connor McDavid show all the time. Um, you know, so, you know, you look at a guy like Pat Maroon, like, how many people expected Pat Maroon to come into Edmonton and have so much success that he did playing with Connor McDavid, right? Like, but Maroon was one of those guys that knew where to be uh, to play with McDavid, and that's something that's difficult for guys to know and and to learn. Like, it's uh, it's it's interesting when you when you see these guys get a chance to play with them. You know, I think no matter what happens, you constantly have to be trying to find guys who can play with McDavid. You know, I agree. Nugent Hopkins um, is much more needed alongside Dreisaitl and Yamamoto uh, than he is alongside Connor McDavid. And again, I can understand why Tippett tried to get Nuge rolling with McDavid, and he and he did. Like he he got like Nuge and and McDavid did some special things in these playoffs. Um, you know, in those four games, right? Like Nugent Hopkins had eight points in four games. Like that's tremendous. That's tremendous for a guy like him. Um, but you know, there's got to be some other players who who can slide up into the lineup to to play with McDavid. Like, what about a guy like Alex Chason, maybe? Right? Like, we saw him have some success a couple, you know, last okay. year yeah. playing playing with McDavid. Chason reminds me, like, I'm a Chason apologist. I really like Alex Chason, and I have a lot of time for him on this Oilers team. Um, but you know, Chason kind of gives me those Pat Maroon vibes, like just a really smart player who knows where to go, where to be. Uh, at the right time to kind of compliment a guy like McDavid. You see the chemistry they have on the power play already. You know, maybe that's something that next year Tippett looks to to capitalize on a little bit more. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I, here's here's kind of a question for that I want to. I'll ask you both. So, 
right now going into this draft, we have our first round pick. Uh, we don't have our second, third, or fourth. And then next year, we don't have our second or fifth round pick. That being said, and even though, you know, trading away some futures for success now kind of ended up blowing up in Holland's face a bit, given the pandemic and all that shit. Um, but with that all being said, are we, I mean, we're comfortable completely with him trading more futures away to win now, right? Um, I mean, yes and no. I, I mean, I'm I'm not the, the biggest fan of, of trading away futures because Edmonton still doesn't have the strongest pipeline coming up. Like, the, the strong pipeline we had coming up is up or nearly up at this point, right? So I think you constantly have to be looking to draft well to to complement that. And I think Edmonton's got, you know, 14th overall. Edmonton's going to get a hell of a player at 14th overall this year. Like, this is a deep draft. You know, we're going to be drafting yeah. somebody at 14 who's going to be an impact player for the Oilers. Um, and if we don't, then we're in huge trouble because this is a really good draft, right? Yeah. You know, again, like, yes, he, he's shown that he's willing to trade away futures to, to help the Oilers, right? He's traded away two second-round picks for for Andreas Athanasiu. So I don't see, like, I don't see us moving on from Athanasiu this quickly unless we can get, like, a star player like uh, William Nylander, like I mentioned earlier, to play alongside McDavid. Like, I, that's the only kind of scenario that I could see Athanasiu being moved. Um I think you need to hold on to your picks as best as you can, unless you're getting an absolute slam dunk of a of a player who you know is going to come in and be an impact player, not a guy like Athanasi or Ennis who are like kind of like question mark trades. You know what I mean? Obviously, Ennis cost absolutely nothing. Like he cost a fifth round draft pick. Like that's not a lot to give up for a guy like him, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, unless you're in my eyes, unless you're getting a bona fide been there, done that, um, top flight player under term, under contract. I don't think you're trading away your first round pick in the next two years. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't. I definitely don't want to see the first round picks traded, but I'm pretty much fine with anything past that going on. Yeah. Especially, especially if it's a package deal where we, we, we ended up with the best player. And I really, I just have a hankering suspicion that Holland's going to pull the trigger on something like that. You know? It'll be like player player plus plus and then we get some sweet shit back just yeah, just, just my nice feeling it'd be nice to see happen yeah uh, anything else you guys wanted to hit on before we go thanks so much for coming on zach always a pleasure we kind of we had you on just before the last game and just after as well because you know first shall be last and last shall be first and the last shall experience many playoff wins is that how that saying goes yeah something like that yeah, I'm I'm just wondering now what the fuck I'm gonna do for the next four months. It's gonna be brutal waiting for Oilers hockey. Like it's gonna be because we're not even sure if it's gonna be December first, right? It could easily be January first, right? Yeah, I mean, best case scenario, it's December first that we have hockey going again. Um, you know, and that's an if. That's an if. You know, we have to see what happens over the next, you know, four or five months when it comes to uh, how the pandemic is affecting the world. Um, and I mean, it wouldn't surprise me in the least to see, um, you know, there being bubbles again in Edmonton and Toronto in six months um, for, for hockey to happen. You know, I think I think the NHL is seeing some success right now with the, the bubble format and having uh, hockey on all day the way it is right now. I know I'm loving it. I, I mean, I wake up in the morning, I, I pour a cup of coffee, I sit down to start writing and I got hockey on and, you know, I got hockey on until I go to bed. It's crazy. It's right? incredible. Yeah. 
You know, I think yeah. the NHL can, I actually really think the NHL can capitalize on the pandemic by creating bubbles again for next season and having hockey on, you know, like 12 hours a day because, you know, you're getting more eyeballs on all of these games. I'm tuning into games that I normally, that I typically wouldn't tune into. Totally. Uh, so we'll see what happens. Yeah. Best case scenario, December, but you know, I think there's a lot. Um, obviously to, to be optimistic about and there's a lot of research and a lot of following to, to happen here you know once the season wraps up and the Stanley Cup's handed out in October you know we're right in a full-on quick off-season mode right like the draft is going to come up sooner than we think free agency is going to come up sooner than we think and and hopefully next year is going to be here sooner than we think because I know speaking from my own experience um, the whole NHL season kind of crept up on me um, when I look back reflecting on when we went into a uh, lockdown in March and, and, and to when we got hockey back here in uh, the beginning of August. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> well, hopefully we can, uh, hopefully we can, we can kill the time effectively. Um, thanks so much for, uh, for talking to you two guys, for those uh, still listening, for those listening, thank you so much for listening. Please like subscribe, tell your friends, tell your enemies tell your former associates, you know, if you're, if recent events have caused you to, to spend the majority of your day on the sidewalk wearing a sandwich board that says the end is nigh, consider putting a, a, a positive word about the Handkerchief Dynasty podcast on the backside of that sandwich board, because, you know, the end may be nigh, but there's no reason why you can't listen to a podcast at the same time, right? There you go. Yeah. All right, dudes. Uh, I'll be in. We'll be in touch, and uh, we'll talk. Uh, we'll talk soon. Have a good one. Yeah, sounds great. Thanks again for having me on, guys. Take care. Oh,